Would you open your Bibles again this morning to the Gospel of John? John chapter 8. Our subject is living liberated. Living liberated. Free. We base our freedom on the truth that's in the Scripture. If the Bible says we're free, then we're free. We may not look free, act free, or live free, but we are free. There's a many a verse in the Bible that makes a declaration of what we are, but there's little evidence of it in all Christians. But that's not God's fault. If the Bible says something is true, it is true. It is forever settled in heaven, as the psalmist said. It'll never pass away, like Jesus said. It is eternal. But just because it's in the Bible and you're a Bible believer, you're a church member, doesn't mean it just automatically happens for you because you're a Christian. There's conditions you have to meet, you have to search and find out, and the great conditions, you have to believe that. A lot of people acknowledge that, they don't believe that. They know it says that, they're just not sure God will do that. And so while they are legally free and liberated, their life is not an example of freedom and liberation. They're still bound by fears and a lot of things they shouldn't be. And a lot of people don't know any better. But Jesus said in John 8, verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, who's he speaking to? Verse 31. If you continue in my word, then you shall be my disciples indeed. Disciple means follower. If you continue in my word, stay with it. Don't give up on it because it doesn't look like it's going to work. It doesn't feel like it's going to work. Stay with it. This is what disciples do. They're enduring. They're steadfast. They're immovable. They stay with it. And when you do that, he said, and, which goes with that, staying with it and all of that, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall Make you free. Now, we've already talked about all the preliminaries to that, about how Jesus set us free. He made us free. But we also have said you have to stay free. Because the devil still goes about like a roaring lion looking for whomever he can devour, Christian or non-Christian. Doesn't matter about who you are. If he thinks he can come back and invade your life again, if he can gain access to your life again, if he can lure you away from your so-called beliefs in God to something less than that, in that way you're giving place to the devil. You're letting him have a role in your life. Not just conquering all of you where you can't help yourself, but he just moves in and invades areas of your life, destroys and disrupts, brings confusion, malcontent, uneasiness, and other things. We have to study in what ways then can the devil come in and regain control. Well, there's only one avenue he can come to, that's your flesh, and only one thing can appeal to your flesh, and that's the world. This is not even part of the message, but I just thought of it. I want you to turn to Second Peter chapter 2. This is a really a difficult passage of Scripture, and I'm not wanting to do the text of it, but I want to point out something that is said because it has to do with the world and how the world can, even though you've been loosed from it, 
and delivered from it, it can invade your life again if you let it. Again, these are difficult, sober scriptures here, these verses. But verse 20, he says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's how you escape. You shall know the truth. He said, well, if after you have known and escaped from the pollutions of the world, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the last state is worse than the first. Let me ask you a question. Then is it possible for those who have escaped the pollutions of the world to be entangled in the world again? Then the world can reappeal itself if there is such a word. I like those kind of words. I invent them. So the world can reappeal itself to you or again entice you, making you think, well, you don't have to worry about us now that you've been saved and you're a Christian and all that. There's no other way that we can bother you. I mean, you're already set for heaven. But why don't you come and enjoy a little, little bit of this and indulge yourself a little bit. Come on, you're only young once. Have a good time. I mean, after all, nothing is really all that sacred. And the enticements, the allurements, the subtlety of the devil to draw you away from what you have known that made you free back into a baser knowledge, the Bible calls, the elements of this world, the rudimentary spirits of this world which entice you again. And he said, if you're drawn back and entangled, then you're in a worse state than you were before. And in Second Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life. Now, the affairs of this life would be the worldly ways that men are trained to live by. All of us were. The world's still trying to train you to follow the world, to make you feel foolish and ignorant and stupid if you don't do what everybody else is doing the way everybody else is doing it. That's why they single you out for a, a weird church because you believe in divine healing. Everybody believes in divine healing. They all say, oh, we believe God could. But because you're willing to act like, use your faith, act like the Word of God is true, they think you're crazy. Or they think you're nuts. And if they can embarrass you enough and slander you enough, they think maybe you'll give up your so-called beliefs and come back into the more reasonable ways of life. So in verse 4, he said, No man that warreth, that's us, entangleth himself again in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who chose him to be a soldier. If we indeed are soldiers, we can't fight the good fight of faith if we're playing with the world. Here's the point. The whole point of this series, even though you're free, even though you are legally free by the power of God and the blood of Jesus. You've been loose from all the work of the devil. But if you're not careful, you can be entangled again. You can be brought right back under that same yoke bondage. Because the Bible says you can be taken captive by the devil at his will. Because that's in 2 Timothy 2 also, because he keeps coming at you. He never gives up. So if we're not sober if we're not watchful, if we're not paying attention, if we're not clear about what we believe and why we believe it, if we're not willing to stand on these sacred things that God gives us, 
then eventually we'll give those up to go back to where everybody else is or where you once were. And you won't realize any of the goodness that God has for you in this life on the level he wants you to. You really won't. Now, we said this so far about being entangled again or being liberated and then brought back into bondage. You have to guard your mind. That's the first thing you have to do because that's where the devil comes. He comes at your mind. As a man thinketh, so is he. When you begin to deal with your mind, you're dealing with a battleground in your life. It's where the war is in your mind, the thoughts. That's how the devil deceived Eve with thoughts. He gave her something to think about. She began to think about it. What she was thinking about was not what God said, but how the devil interpreted what God said. Hath God said? Did he really mean that? Come on now. And she began to think like that. That's his way. And she sinned. And when she sinned, all of us died. All of us. We were all doomed to death. When we were born into this world, you were doomed to die. But Jesus rescued us. Amen. Praise God. So you have to guard your mind first. That's what the helmet's for, the helmet of salvation. The principles of salvation, you should learn those. Who you are in Christ. What you can do in Christ. That latent inward power that is given to you. That does exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. That is in you. Christ is in you. God is at work in you. You need to know that. You need to study that and realize that and see it. Because this is the way you should think. And then when the devil brings a thought to your mind, you can bring captive. You can capture thoughts. Those things that have always ruined you and robbed you, you can grab those thoughts and bring them to the obedience of Christ. And you can be free if you're willing. Because this is a war. This is a war. Secondly, we're talking about now. We're talking about you have to guard your mouth. You have to guard your mouth. The things you say. How you say it. Why you say it. Your purpose and intention in what you said. Your design in what you said. How you wanted that to affect somebody. You can be snared, as the Bible said, by the words of your mouth. Would you turn to that for just a moment? Proverbs 6, 2, where it says you're snared. We've also learned in Proverbs that death or life is in the power of the tongue. Death or life is in the power of the tongue. Notice in verse 2 of chapter 6 in Proverbs, it said, You are snared by the words of your mouth. But then he also goes on to say, we hardly ever quote the second half. He says the same thing this way. He says, Thou art taken by the words of your mouth. Taken means, a Hebrew word which means to capture or to seize. Think of this. You are seized with the words of your mouth. Now think about this. Then if I'm prompted by the devil to say things that I should not say, but say it anyway, like I'm angry or mad or upset or whatever, and I say things that I should not say, can I be captured because I said it? In other words, can I give place to the devil with my words? You can when you open your mouth, you have a chance to either be a blessing as a servant of God or you can open the door to the enemy and be snared by him. Do damage to other people as well as open the door to some damage in your own life. 
Now, if we don't know that, we'll do it and not understand why we have so many conflicts in life that never get solved, have so many issues. It could very well be because of your mouth, of what you allow yourself to say, how you allow yourself to say it. Those are the things that can snare us, as he said here, or things that can take us. One translation of the Bible says, you are trapped by the words of your mouth. You are ensnared with the words of your mouth. Well, that's a warning. I can be a member in good standing of any church in the world, sitting under anybody who's got the most set in that place. And yet I can go out and the devil can gain access to my life or some area of it by what I say. By what I say. Isn't that true? The Bible once said that there are people who praise the Lord and it's not acceptable. You know why? Because it didn't come from their hearts. They use the right words, but not with their heart. They just went through the routine of saying what they're supposed to say, but they didn't have a heart for all of this. They were still snared because their hearts were bad. There's a whole lot that goes with living the Christian life. Like most of you, I used to think just going to church was really enough. Then I realized after I got saved, not only must we attend somewhere to learn something. I mean, we got to be taught But we have to put this to practice. We can't just hear it and then think that's it. We have to live it. This is the way God wants us to live. This is kingdom living. This is how he wants us to act. And when he says, set a watch before my mouth and guard the door of my lips, the psalmist said, then he meant that because if you don't guard your mouth, all the gains that you might have made in starting your Christian life You can give it all back. You can still go to church and still sit in there and you can still learn. I mean, still do a lot of things. But you'll be in a form of bondage in some area. You might have this mental block. Lots of people do. They can't get it. You know, they heard the same thing for 15 or 20 years and still can't put it together. It's a spirit. How it came in, I don't know. But if I did know and you told somebody, well, the reason you're having this problem is because of the way you talk to somebody, they wouldn't accept that. Because God would never allow the devil to do something to me because of such a minor infraction. Well, who told you that? When he said, guard the door of your lips and the devil goes about like a roaring lion and you can give place to the devil and you can be snared by the words of your mouth, put it together. I mean, figure it out. God has given us a language. Human beings have a language. The English language, whatever language in the world, English for us, it's how we communicate and get along. It's how we worship God. Dogs and cats don't worship God. They're not made in the image of God. They didn't have languages. They can't speak. They can't read books. They can't write letters. We do, and the purpose of our language is to honor God, to serve him, to witness to people, to be an example, to have gracious words come out of our mouth when the world doesn't. Our words should be words that honor God. And when the devil gives us words that don't honor God, then we dishonor God. And we open this door that I'm telling you about. Now, 
One of the primary verses we used last week, and I want to go back to it, was Matthew 12. So you've turned from Proverbs 6. We'll go to Matthew 12. Something that Jesus said, the end of verse 33. He said, well, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Now, you see the word make there? That's what you do or you don't do. You do one or the other. You're making it good today or you're making it bad. Is that fair? The offering of God is you can do good. You don't have to do bad. You're not compelled to do bad. You're not helpless to do right. Here's what he said. Either you make the tree good or you make it corrupt. For every tree, that's us. We are all going to be known by what comes out of our lives our behavior, our conduct, our words, so forth. Verse 34, he told these Pharisees, he said, You generation of vipers, how could you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That is a law of life, or you could call it a high principle that all Christians must deal with and come under the control or power of. Out of the abundance of your heart, you speak. When you speak bad things, it's because bad things were in your heart. When you speak ugly things, it's because ugly things were in your heart. When you speak unclean things, it's because unclean things are in your heart. When you use cuss words and vile words because everybody you listen to does, it's because that's in your heart. I don't care where you go to church, what Bible you read, that's in your heart. That's what controls you. It comes out of your mouth and it identifies you. That's just the way it works. It just does that. A Christian ought to have a changed vocabulary. He ought to have a changed vocabulary, and the genuineness of one's Christianity can be revealed by his vocabulary. We can find out really a whole lot about you by what you say, what you talk about, what you laugh about, what's on your mind, what subjects. We can tell a whole lot about you by the words you use or by the way you use words, just the way you use them. He mentions here in verse 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, And notice this, you shall give an account of in the day of judgment. So there is a day of judgment, and you will be standing somewhere on this day of judgment, and you will give an account of idle words. Now, idle words are useless words, words that do no good, words that the world uses all the time that benefits nobody except maybe for entertainment or laughing at coarse jokes and language and stories and so forth. But idle words are words that are meaningless, senseless. But they are worldly acceptable words because that's the way the world talks. The world is full of idle, useless nonsense. If you've listened to many people talk, if you've ever listened to one of those sitcoms, if you only listen to three minutes of any sitcom anywhere, then you know what idle words are. Just how you're being trained to act silly, act ignorant, and act goofy, and act unclean, and act vulgar, and have a dirty mind, and think like that, because everything has to be funny if it's got some filth in it. Those are what idle words do. 
But they do more than that. Let me give you a category of some of them. Let's take, first of all, slang. Is there such a thing as slang? Today, the way to answer most acceptable comments is that's cool. Well, there's nothing wrong with the word cool. I mean, on a hot day, everybody would like to find a cool place. Not a highly decorated place that's got a lot of refinery, but a cool place, temperature-wise. But cool doesn't have to be a bad word either. I'm just saying that people who cannot but use that, they're evidencing the fact that you're hooked into the world and you're learning that this is what they'd like for me to say when I say, that's cool, man. You know, there's nothing wrong with the word cool. There's nothing wrong with the wrong man. And sometimes you might say, well, that is cool, uh, man. But all I'm saying is... (laughs) All I'm saying is that sometimes our speech... The way we talk evidences the fact that we're learning to talk like the world talks. And I don't mean by saying slang that every time you use the word cool now, the devil comes in and gets you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that sometimes your speech, when it's full of this, you know, dude, dude. That's cool, dude, and all that. He's one cool dude and all that. Well, he probably is. He might be cool dude. I don't know. I try not to talk like that myself. Occasionally, it's one of those words might come out, but that doesn't mean, oh, now the devil's got me now. No. I don't talk like that all the time. I don't hang around people who talk like that, so I'm not really that used to it. It's not familiar words in my ears. Now, Bonnie wouldn't talk like that. We just don't talk like that. It's just not the way we do it. So there's a lot of things the world will use, a lot of words, slang words. And, and I, again, I tried to think of a bunch of slang words, and I couldn't. One word I come up with was, what's up? <laughs> like I say, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up, dude? Hey, what's going on, man? Well, I know what you're saying, and that's Okay. I'm just saying that now that we're Christians, listen to me, now that we're Christians, what's wrong with just saying it a better way? I know you're there, man. I know you're in the scene, but what's wrong with just saying, how's it going with you, mister? (laughs) Sometimes, hey, man, how you doing? That's all right. I mean, that's not like you're trying to be cool and worldly. You're not. You know what? I don't have to be like that anymore. I don't have to try to be like that anymore. I believe as a Christian that my speech should evidence the work of God in my life. If Jesus ever wore a baseball hat, I know he wouldn't put it on backwards. See, the purpose of the beak was to keep the sun out of your eyes. And you don't have to turn around backwards and you don't have to do that. The evidence and the effect of the world upon Christians has almost led the church into services that appeal to that. With all the noise and the dress, look at how people dress today. I mean, I'm talking about on the religious scene. One so-called great healer, big-time healer here a couple, three, four years ago in his blue jeans, a T-shirt, no dirty-looking clothes and tattoos and earrings and all of that. I do not believe that God does it like that. Could he? God could do anything. I do not believe that that's what glorifies him because it lends itself to something with no dignity to it at all. 
So idle words could be words that are slang. Idle words could be words like teasing. Now, teasing, I grew up teasing. My whole family invented teasing. It was a natural for me to always tease a gang I ran around with. You know, being in the South, we just tease all the time. Tease, either make fun of or mock or belittle somebody, say bad things, you know, ugly things about them or about whatever you could think about about that person. As I looked at the word tease, it means to pester. And I think it's not good for Christians to pester people with words. Would you agree with that? That teasing is not what we do. The dictionary said to disturb or annoy by persistent irritating or provoking, especially in a mischievous way, to annoy and to pester. Well, that doesn't sound Christian. Yeah, but I've always, there's nothing wrong with it. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Well, maybe there is. Maybe there is. Maybe there's a, a misrepresentation to a stranger, somebody that's, comes along that you don't know in your little crowd from a friend of somebody. And you act like that or talk like that, they might think that you're no different than anybody else. And yet everything about us should have a difference in it, some way or another. We're not like the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're not supposed to order our lives like the world orders their lives. We're not supposed to have the fears and the worries that the world has because we've been delivered. We've been set free. And there should be a time that people take note of the fact that we have been with the Lord. That we're not like they are. That we're not on the level that they are as far as how we live. That God has given us a higher way to live. And sometimes it's hard for us to break away from the worlds and the language and, and all of that stuff. I don't think it's always wrong to, like, I tease Bonnie sometimes. <laughs> I don't think if I tease her about a little something, you know, the devil just got his arm around my neck and that's it. I think sometimes in marriage you have your little pet things you say to each other and the little cute refrains you wouldn't want anybody else to know. It's nobody else's business. And the little things that you say and teasing, but there's a limit to how much you tease. And you never talk about girth. Or some things you best leave alone. Unless you want a reciprocal of some sort. Well, you're not quite what you were either. And then don't we often say, because teasing often leads to upset or hurt or angry feelings, and don't we always say when they get a, I was only kidding. Well, so I'm asking the question today because we don't teach on this but once every 10 years or so. So I'm asking the question to you that are here and you that are on the Internet. Good to have you all with us this morning. Amen. (laughs) It's good for us to stop and think about who we really are. Now, I've done that my whole life. Not long ago, when studying for this a couple of weeks ago, I was doing some of this research. I started thinking about my own life. I think, you need to stop that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to stop right now. And I didn't get home three minutes. I'd already started teasing. But I realized that wasn't exactly a bad thing. It's only bad when you can't but tease. It's not only bad when you can't but tease, but it gets bad when you just tease people all the time or you make fun of people or belittle somebody or talk about their dress or their clothes or their car or something that you shouldn't talk about. How about the word jesting? Jesting. I grew up jesting. 
A lot of people are just full of jest and tomfoolery because of their insecurity in life. They want to be noticed. They want to be liked. They couldn't be liked the way they feel like they are, so they have to act a little bit more than what they are, and maybe they'll have friends and they'll be liked. The school clown or the stand-up comic, the comedian, and the people whose whole life is designed to make other people laugh all the time. They're always jesting, always making dumb talk and foolish talk. Look at Ephesians 5. I want you to turn to Ephesians 5. You're not that far from it. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1, because he talks about this and a couple of other things here. Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. That's what I've said while ago. We followed everything else. Now that we're Christians, let's find out how he would have us live and talk, and let's order our lives anew. Let's give up some of these old things that were corrupting. Verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Notice verse 4, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Now, people that talk like that are very often, in verse 5, people that do that. You talk that way, chances are that's what you do. And he says, if you do that, you don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying if you slipped up and said something wrong, you lost your inheritance. I'm just saying people who live like that. People who are constantly trying to think of something, like he said in verse 4, filthiness or foolish talking, jesting, and so forth. The word filthiness in verse 4 means ugly, shameful conduct. Think of that. Ugly, shameful conduct of any kind. Conduct which is contrary to a person who follows after God. One word that popped off the page in the dictionary about filthiness is obscenity, obscene. You can tell by the words that a person uses, but what you watch on the Internet or in magazines or what you keep stored someplace to watch or that movie video or something, who you hang around and what you listen to, your desire for vulgar jokes to talk about things you shouldn't talk about. That's called filthiness in the Bible. It should never be found among saints. It's not becoming to a Christian. And if you continue living like that, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. I don't care if you went forward, raise your hand every meeting. This has got to stop. You cannot do that. You might get by with it because we can't see you. We don't follow you around. We don't know what you're doing. We don't know who's on your Internet sites. Nobody knows. But God knows. And the sad thing of it is somebody might have looked up to you and one day realized that this was a kind of life you lived. You had a filthy spirit, a spirit, let me put it this way, a spirit of filthiness, an unclean spirit that drives you. That thing came in one time because maybe of an outburst of anger and you cursed somebody and you opened the door to an unclean spirit. 
Why unclean? I don't know. They come in whenever they can, whatever kind of spirit is there. And then you start getting compelled to nastiness and vulgarity and thinking adulterous thoughts about girls if you're a boy. And I imagine if you're a girl about boys. But these are things that come in and begin to corrupt your life. You begin to notice a decline in your spiritual attentiveness. And your desire for more of God, it sort of gives way to pleasure, sensual things. And you're being corrupted. And you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, if that's happening in anybody's life, at least you have a chance to deal with it. Because a lot of people that have that problem, it's never singled out. They're never shown in the word or in a conversation that this is wrong. You won't find that down at the porno shop. Nobody tell you that that's wrong. But a filthy person just has to do with shameful talking, obscenity. It also means foolish talking. And foolish talking is that type of speech which betrays a person as foolish. In other words, you shouldn't talk like that. I've had people question me in my life. Why would you want to say what you just said? And I realized what I just said was unnecessarily to be said. It wasn't vile or anything. It was unnecessary. That was not a good thing to say. Oh, people laughed. I don't think God did. Because if God did, your heart wouldn't smite you. You wouldn't be convicted or perhaps condemned by what you just said. Have you ever gone home? Any of you ever gone home from any night or time in your whole life and sat down and remembered something you said during the day and felt bad about it? Well, see, there's hope for you. It's the ones who thought, man, I was the life of the party tonight. They all thought I was funny. Well, that kind of jesting is going to get you in trouble. Just like today, the popular comics. There used to be a lot of comedians when I grew up. They would have their little stand-up moments, stand-up comics, and they would tell stories or jokes. They were all clean jokes, and most of them were funny. Now, today, I don't think this generation would think any of them were funny. They'd think it's kind of dumb because they're not nasty. There are no innuendos in there. There's nothing in there that's vulgar. It was all clean. I mean, who would want to watch, for example, Ozzy and Harriet today? Who? Well, see, I just dated myself. When everything was just clean and nice and people were dressed, actually dressed nice. Listen, you're living, you young folks, I wish I had whatever it took to make you listen. You're living in a time of more uncleanness than I imagine here there has been since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Loose thinking, loose living, looseness. Just read a little thing this morning about marriages today. That in a recent poll of over 3,000 married people, I guess they were married, 40% of them see less and less of a reason to be married at all. That's four out of ten. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says forbidding to marry will be one of the signs of the last day. People will forbid themselves. Why marry? Why marry? I just heard the other day of a couple that's been living together for 18 years, and why don't you just marry? Of course, I think common law marriage is pretty much a law now, but what is it about that? I mean, God calls it a sacred covenant, a covenant made between two people who are in love with each other. 
for the purpose of establishing a home and, and a family and so forth. And yet you're living in a time in which there's more and more of this, let's mate, let's breed like dogs and cats in an alley. Let the animal instincts give way to our baser nature. Let's just have sex all the time with anybody, recreational sex. I saw a news thing about that once. I couldn't believe it, and I thought I was up to date on all this stuff. And I realized I'm dumber than dark. And I thought, man, oh, man. And I think, what's happened to a generation? Well, the sex education. And they started coming in, and then we had a, well, this homosexual thing that's come on the scene. And I guess now the decency of that, single-parent TV programs, that along with a lot about witches and then violence and the corruption that has come into a generation. Look at the video games. There's not a youngster in this room or all of you put together plus the rest of this world pooled all your mental powers together until you had one humongous brain. None of you could convince me that video games are good for anybody. Well, I've got 14 of them. I don't care if you got all of them. You couldn't convince me that getting your brain and your whole being mixed up in all of that kind of play acting, being and killing and got that sucker and all that. Where'd you get all that kind of talk? I know where you got it. I know what it does to you. And I can tell you this, that if you're deeply involved in that, you're not deeply involved in spiritual matters. And what's in the heart? It'll come out the mouth. But he talks about, in verse 4 again, filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting. There's three words there that he says evidence something deeper in your life. That is not the way we love God. That is not the way we love fellow man. That's the way we love ourselves. We like to hear ourselves talk in a way that makes people laugh. They think we're funny. Again, the stand-up comic today has to use curse words. He has to talk about vulgar things so people will laugh and think that's funny because that's the vileness of their spirit. And when you listen to it and you partake of it, the same spirit you're listening to finds its way into your life. Amen. It's a dangerous time that we're in. We're in a war. And when you're in a war, you've got to pay attention to what you're doing and who your enemy is and who you're serving and so on and so forth. This is what God wants from all of us. Turn to Ephesians 4, verse 29. Now listen, I'm talking about all these words for one reason. All this speech and these different kinds and levels of communication because this is the way the devil gains access to you. Not just a study of words and what they mean, but how the devil prompts us to do this so that he can find a way back into our lives. Ephesians 4, 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister humor unto the hearers. No, minister grace unto the hearers. What is corrupt communication? Corrupt communication is a word that means foul. It's similar to the words we've already used, not the same Greek word, but it, it simply means foul, nasty, vulgar. Let me tell you another thing about it. In the sower in the seed, Matthew 13, 
One of the little pictures that the Lord gave in Matthew 13 was at the end of the age when the reapers came, the fishers came, and the nets full of fish. Remember the nets full of fish were brought up? And the Bible says within the net there were good fish, which would be like wheat. There was bad fish, which would be like tares. They were growing together at that time on the earth. They said then they brought the net to the shore, and they gathered the good fish and put them in a place, and they threw the bad fish away. Now, the word bad is our same word here as in Ephesians 4.29, corrupt. Bad and corrupt are the same words. So would I be right if I said this, that in the church there are bad, there are corrupt souls who God calls bad? And unless they ever get away from that or changed or delivered from that, then they will be thrown out. Just like there are wheat and tares in the church. I want to be a wheat. The idea that I've given probably the best years of my life, the best years to what I'm doing, it would be a tragedy to think that I got this far and didn't make it. But I can't convince myself I'm okay. It doesn't matter how I live. Because like Paul says, I have to keep my body under. Because if I don't, I too could be a castaway. I mean, that's in the Bible. I have to be careful, just like you. We have to be sober and cautious. Our enemy walks about like a roaring lion. He walks through the pages of some of those books you want to read or some of that stuff on TV or some of those false misrepresentations of the ministers on TV. If you don't know what you believe, you're going to be caught. You're far better off never having heard that stuff than listening to it and getting confused. Oh, amen, amen. I've heard too many of them. But unedifying speech, that would be things that don't build up, things that tear down. Because he ended this verse by saying he wants us as Christians to minister grace to the hearers. I could say to one of y'all, where'd you get those dumb shoes at? And he says, thank you, brother, I needed that. (laughs) You ever going to comb your hair? You look like you just woke up. You don't look good. How much you gained? How many of you know that doesn't minister goodness to anybody? It makes people want to come back and get back at you. So what you've done, you have prompted somebody to do just as bad back to you as you're trying to do to them. I remember one time I bought a new pair of shoes. They were different. I thought they were kind of nice. We had a little board meeting at the church, and one of my buddies in there he said, where in the world did you get such an ugly pair of shoes? Them the dumbest looking shoes I ever saw. Of course, all I could think about was, I guess you think what you're wearing on your feet, you know. And then I think this is what he's talking about. We should speak things which minister grace to hear, good things. Everything from nice to see you, well, you're doing good, and God will bless you for that, and just keep the faith. Praise the Lord. And if you can't think of anything else to say, set a watch before your mouth and guard the door of your lips, lest you sin against God. And if you can't speak what is good, speak not at all. How's that? Speak only that which edifies. We should build up. We should come together to edify each other. It doesn't mean that we compliment sin or we compliment laziness. We don't do that. We have to try to correct people for that. But even our correction is to minister grace. 
We could let you go and leave you alone, never say a word to you. And you live like that the rest of your life. Well, like in Galatians 6, 1, you see a brother overtaken in a fault. He said, you who are spiritual, restore him. Don't go up and say, hey, goofball, what have you been doing lately? That's not really good speech. Many of your longtime friends aren't offended by that because they didn't take that as serious. But whether it was serious or not, it was unnecessarily said. We don't need to call people names to identify them. We don't. We just don't have to do that. In fact, our tongue, look at Proverbs chapter 10. Would you go back to the book of Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 20? Here's what our tongue should do. Verse 20 and verse 21. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. It brings forth good stuff. The tongue of the just. The heart of the wicked is worth nothing. Because you see, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what comes out of a wicked man's heart is not choice silver, but nothing. He can't speak good. Remember, Jesus said, how can you speak good things being evil? In verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for want of wisdom because their words don't have wisdom in them. The words they speak do not carry the weight of help, aid, and goodness. It's usually just dumb, vulgar stuff that you hear somebody talk about and then you laugh about it. And you still feel bad later. You've contributed nothing to the well-being of anybody with your words. And we should. That's what our words should do. Our words should help and assist others. Look in Proverbs 12 and verse 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, words that hurt. But the tongue of the wise is health. You contrast health with hurt. Words can hurt people. You can insult people, speak down to people, or your children. Listen, parents, verbal abuse is probably as bad as physical abuse. That'd be a tough call. But any kind of abuse to a child from a parent whose call it is to raise them up to serve the Lord, verbal abuse and physical abuse is bad. Because there's no healing, there's no health, there's no goodness in it. But he said in that 18th verse, those are words that speak like the piercing of a sword. They cut and they hurt. They leave a scar and they can't many times get over it and they carry that scar through their life. But the tongue of the wise, seeing the need and speaking what is good, is health. Anyway, those are the two things, those two verses they tell us how important it is for Christians when we're called upon to say something or we meet people or greet people to present to them this is what God is doing. I'm not overdoing this this morning. I'm just saying that all of us can relearn our vocabulary. We can learn to speak as God would give us to speak. But there's so many things that we have learned and picked up we don't know about, things that are wicked and bad, little innuendos. If you go back to 1 Peter 2, 1, there's a lot of verses of Scripture about your tongue. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envies, because they were like that at one time. He said, now, lay all of that aside 
And as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. There's a conflict between verse 2 and verse 1. If you want verse 2, you've got to deal with verse 1. But the one word we left out of verse 1 was all evil speaking. All evil speaking. Now, this is a word to speak evil of in the sense of to slander. It's personal attack, slander. Speaking against people. It's saying things about people that you should not say. Like the word backbiting. Backbiting and slander. Don't they refer to the same thing? Aren't you speaking bad about somebody? And the people who hear this latest juicy bit of information don't benefit from it. In fact, they're prompted by the enemy who brought it out to their attention in the first place. Now they're prompted to repeat a matter. To say, I'll tell you what I heard. I don't want you to tell anybody. Don't you tell anybody I said this, but. Then that gives you the freedom to say whatever you want to say. And you begin to backbite. That is, attack people with their back turned, saying things about them behind their back that you would not say to them to their face. You would never come to them and say what you're saying now because they wouldn't like you. Listen to this verse in Proverbs. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. If it doesn't edify, if it doesn't build somebody up, don't tell it. Don't repeat it. Now, sometimes there are issues that you have to deal with. Somebody said something. Or there's some kind of a controversy going on, and, and usually the pastor has to get involved in that. So you have to ask a lot of questions. And so people do sometimes tell you what somebody said, is, and then you have to investigate it. One time I followed one of those rabbits, chased us down many years ago because I was on to it. I wasn't going to allow that. That wasn't going to happen under my watch. One of them said this, another one said that. Well, what did you say? Well, what did she say? And come down and got them together. Now, that's far enough. You said that she said. And you told me that she said. And you also said you don't, you know. Now, you're face to face. Let's hear it. And it was a little tense. But you see, it was only tense because they were caught. This is the way you fix some of these things. You either fix it or lose them. And so come to find out, well, one said, well, that's what I thought you said. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, what you thought somebody said isn't the same as what somebody said. Now, you're telling what she said because you thought she meant that or thought she said that. She didn't say that. But you said to other people that she said that. You've done her wrong. You owe her an apology. Well, she owes me one too. Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but you owe her an apology. You owe her an apology. You've got to tell her you're sorry. Because if you can't, then I've got to deal with you. Because I'm not going to have this in the church. I'm not going to have it. If I can find it and deal with it, I'm not going to have it. Now, I can't tell you through the years how many little issues if somebody said, well, he said and she said, and I thought, you know, if I did know who said what here, this wouldn't be worth the time and energy it would take to fix it. It just wouldn't. Some things you have to deal with. Some things you let people work out. But I found that if you can get two people together, I was asked to go to a church once, not too terribly far from here, and get involved in a conflict in the church, in which the pastor told me and that this person said this, and, and she wasn't going to listen to him and asked me if I'd come over and get between them, and I did. I did it once in my life, one time, once. One uno, one time. 
no more. So I said, now you told me, brother, this guy's a friend of mine. I said, now you told me that she said, and she's sitting right over here on this side. I said, now, I'll just call him pastor. Pastor, you told me that this lady said this or that or thus, and that she didn't do this or that or that. And she said, that's a lie. I said, wait a minute, now, wait a minute. Now, did you say that? Of course, he has to say he said it because he knows I heard it. He said, yeah, and, and I said, all right, now what? And she said, that is not even close to true. And then she told her side of the story. Well, he didn't, hadn't ever seen it that way. His mouth caught him, and his mouth had a noose on it, and he was hung himself with his own tongue. But it was a good thing. Good thing that he got caught. Now, she left the church, but I hope he got fixed a little bit here or won't do that no more. And so she was really upset with him, and... So I finally got them both together. I told them later, I said, you know, I'm sorry we had to do it that way, but you asked me to do it, and it's the only way I know to do it. And I told her, I said, you know, I'm sorry that this happened that way, and but I'm glad you got it all out, and now we know the truth. I don't know if there's still bitter feelings there or not today, but if there's bitter feelings, then you're just as bad as you ever were. Because that's still an opening door of the devil. Bitterness against somebody, a resentment and ill will, it's just as bad as, as talking bad about people. Because if you have resentment against people, you talk about people. If you have unforgiveness about people, you talk about them. You don't talk about them well. Look how much people talk about the president of our country have never met him. Never been in his office, never said, hi, Mr. Obama, nice to meet you. How are you doing? Tell me about your life. Tell me what you believe. Tell me where you're going. We have never had that experience, and we never will, because you couldn't even get on the sidewalk. And yet, isn't this true? We hear what other people say. We listen to these talk show jesters and evil speakers on the talk shows, and they tell you what they think these people meant by what they're saying, and you assume that that's true, and you'll, so you start speaking evil of rulers because you've heard somebody whom you thought knew more about it than you did say it, and it must be true because he said it. You got all that. And then our mouth begins to run in the same way. We picked up the same spirit that that talk show guy had. Same stuff. Same wicked mouth, same tongue, same foolish talk. And the Bible says we're not to speak evil, the rulers of our people. And the only reason we do is because we heard somebody else do it, because you listen to it. And it corrupts you. Then you get all these political goings on in the church from people who don't know any better. Amen, you're welcome. They get these political drives in the church and they start fighting with each other, name-calling. Nobody knows for sure what anybody has actually said or done. They've only heard things or they have implied things, and they talk like that's truth. God is against all of that. We have no business being involved in anything that does that to us or hanging around people like that. The Bible says if you cast out a scoffer, a name-calling whatever, if you cast out scoffers, contention in the church will cease. And if you do that in the church, you're going to have contention because, well, use what I'll tell you what I, oh, if we talk about Chevys and Fords all the time. You know, I mean, I do that as a joke sometimes, but what if we just wouldn't leave it alone? I don't even own a Ford. One of my son-in-laws said, you don't even own a Ford. What are you talking about? 
We said a while ago, a talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Let me give you a couple of translations. Listen. He who goes about talking of others makes secrets public. But the true-hearted man keeps things covered. Have you ever had a friend so close that you could say, don't tell anybody I said this? There have been times to make a point. I've had to say, I would rather you not repeat this because we're in a private conversation here. But then there are times in which you want to discuss somebody in a wicked and wrong way. And you say, don't you tell them I said this, okay? You should probably say, is what you're about to say going to edify me and think better of this person? Well, no. Well, then should I hear it? Then they won't want to tell you anything because you're trying to do it right. What if we were like that? If we'd say, now, before you tell me, is it going to edify me? Is it going to put the other person in a good light? Will good come from what you're about to tell me? No. Well, then don't tell me. I don't need to take that to bed and put that in my hard drive. I don't want to know. Another translation says, A busy body is revealing secret counsel, and the faithful of spirit is covering the matter. You just don't repeat it. You just don't say it. I heard that somebody said to somebody that, I want you to be my wife. Or she said to him, I had a dream last night, brother number one, and God showed me that you're going to marry me. Or he said to somebody, you know what, I got a problem. I got a real problem. So what's the problem? He said, well, so-and-so had a dream last night and said she wanted to marry me. So the brother kind of said, well, that's unusual. But this brother didn't conceal that because he goes out and he tells another one of his friends, you know what, so-and-so, don't, don't tell anybody I said this, okay. You know what lady so-and-so said to brother number one so-and-so? What? You can't tell now, I promise you. Just don't tell. What? She said she had a dream that he's supposed to marry her. <laughs> wow, what a dream. They can make a video game out of that. Wow. So what happens when she hears, by the time that story is told three or four times, how's it told? Well, she told him, she went up to him and she said, look, I had a dream last night and you're going to marry me. That ain't what she said. That's the way somebody told her they understood it. Now, what does she say when she hears that? Because that matter was repeated by somebody who just wanted to kind of make light of somebody else, what they call foolishness. By the time that matter got back to that girl who was serious when she said it, believed it was a spiritual matter, by the time it got back to her, she's crushed. Now she doesn't want to go to church. Now she doesn't want to sit here because she knows the guys that are talking and laughing, or girls, or parents are laughing at her and mocking her. You don't do that. That's crazy. They couldn't keep that tongue shut. And they repeated the matter. Or the boy goes to the girl and he says, I want you to consider marrying me. And she says, what? You, I mean, what? And so she tells her friends in the same scenario. And the time it gets back to him, he don't want to talk to her ever again. She's making fun of what he was 
trying to do thought was spiritual, trying to come at just straight up. And she's mocked and make fun of her. Yeah, by the time the story got back to her, he told her, he commanded her to marry him. He didn't either. He didn't command her to marry him. He just said he wanted to marry her and wanted her to think about it. Well, by the time that story's told five or six times, she's so embarrassed she don't want to come back to this church. See, he that repeateth the matter separateth chief friends. That's what our tongue does to those that God wants to save. All because we're not tight. We don't tighten up. We don't hold fast our tongue and our speech and things that we shouldn't be saying. Listen at this. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. Here's another translation of that. He who keeps the sin covered is looking for love, but he who keeps on talking a thing makes division between friends. That happens in marriage too. You can't leave an old wound alone. And she keeps reminding him of something that was said a long time ago. My wife called me the name of an opposing coach when I was coaching in Kentucky. There was a guy that I would have cut my legs off to beat him, and I beat him. And one time my wife said she called me his name. Oh, I'll just say John Smith. Oh, John Smith. Oh, that was a deep one, buddy. That was... <laughs> Oh, no, you, you messed up, woman. I Oh, no. Well, she didn't say just get over it because that's not kind speech either, but we didn't know much about that stuff then. Anyway, what, 10 years later, she said to him, I said, will you call me John Smith? And she said, will you ever forgive me of that? And I'm thinking, my heart said, I might not. I might keep this the rest of my life. No, I realized that I was harboring that. I was harboring that. And it happens a lot in marriages. She said something. He did something. She did something. And it was a wound that you're not even allowing God to heal you of. And you just keep repeating a matter. Just keep bringing it up and bringing it up. There comes a time you need to have a funeral. Just bury the thing and stand over it and say, we are glad that you're gone. May you stay in the dust. No, sir. The Bible says that where no wood is, the fire goes out. Where no wood is, the fire goes out. And so where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. A tailbearer is also called a whisperer. A tailbearer is a whisperer. Another translation says, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. Another one says, and where there is no whisper, contention ceases. Could we say this, that the problem then in a lot of church problems amongst the members in the church is backbiting or talking against each other or talking about each other? It is. Because the Scripture says it can't be wrong. Scripture says when you don't do this, strife ceases. So if there's any kind of strife, it's because we're violating this. No wonder. God hates division. You all have to know that God hates division. Anything that separates, he hates it. When he joined a man and a woman together, what did he say? What God had joined together? For God hates separation and departure. He hates it. You're not supposed to do that. That was never his intention. People do it anyway. 
because it's acceptable in the world. It's not to God. It is the world. But anyway, God will listen to us in what we're saying because somebody is measuring every word that we speak. When Jesus said every idle word that you speak, every idle word you'll give an account of on the day of judgment, it means that everything is being recorded. And the next time we're tempted to say something we shouldn't, say in a way we shouldn't or act the way we should, you need to just checkmate yourself and say, does this exemplify the Lord and is what I'm about to say prompted by the Lord? Or your thoughts, is what I'm thinking prompted by the Lord? Bring it to the obedience of Christ. And we're going to close with James 3. And this is it. James chapter 3 and verse 2. And you measure yourself with this, James 3, 2. And you can see how perfect you are here today. Because the Bible tells us to be you therefore perfect. Doesn't it say that? Doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that we're to be you therefore perfect even as God is perfect? Here's what he says in your Bible in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 2. For in many things we all are offensive. We offend all. All of us do. It's just the way the world made us. Now, God says, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. Now, the question is, would you like to be a perfect man or woman? Would you like to be perfect? Then you bridle your tongue. You bridle your tongue. You harness your tongue. You don't allow it to say what your mind is thinking. You don't allow it to say the rude thing you want to say to get even or get back at somebody. You don't do that because it's not Christian. And the day you come where you're able to bridle your tongue and hold back speech and offensive stuff, you're becoming the kind of man that God wants you to be. It's all about your tongue. And remember, in closing with this one subject, we didn't get to criticism. We'll wait for that one. When you open your mouth and you speak something that God hasn't given to you, you're opening a door to the enemy. And he comes in rubbing his hands and licking his chops, saying, Now, in what way can I mess up the testimony of this man or woman, young man, young woman? He does whatever he can. But when our eyes are open and we can see what he's doing, we clean our house and we keep it clean. Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask forgiveness this morning for every idle, useless, unnecessary, contrary word that is in our vocabulary for all the silliness, the goofiness, even in times the obscenities of what we're thinking and saying. We ask for forgiveness. We pray for a cleansing work of your spirit to convict us more deeply than ever about our words and our mouth. May we not be judged, Lord, harshly for our mouth and for our words. May we begin to speak words that edify, words that bring comfort, that minister grace to hearers. I ask you to convict all of us in this room this morning, those who listen by the Internet, that you would convict us about our speech and our words, what we say about anybody or anything. If we can't say good, Lord, help us to say nothing. Deliver us from evil, O oh Lord. That's what Jesus taught. Deliver us 
from evil. We ask you to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Holy, 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 holy Lord Jesus, holy you are, holy I shall be in every thought that I think. Every word that I speak, the motivation of my heart is to be like you. Amen. Holy, holy. that I think and every word that I speak the motivation of my heart is to be like you Hallelujah God is good isn't he